Right. <clears throat> well, it's good worship today, not looking at those words, listening to them instead. It was good. Might be a good lesson in that for some of us, like me. Um, man, we're great. We're so excited to be back uh, from our trip. Our vacation was awesome. We saw a lot of the country and um, 13 states, I think, we went through. Uh, going up to Vermont, upstate Vermont and New York, and, and then coming back down the Blue Ridge Parkway. Just saw some great, great places. Uh, beautiful scenery, which I'm all about. You know, that's where me and God hook up. It's out in nature. So we saw some of the most awesome nature scenes. Bethany Butterfield, nature scenes is what we saw. Um, inside joke, but I had to throw that out there. Those shout out over there, Bethany. Uh, but we also saw a lot of churches. There's a lot of churches, on, you know, just uh, a lot of buildings, a lot of different types of denominations. And I was just thinking this morning, uh, I'm so glad we're not bound up by religion. Amen? It's a, such a cool place to be and such a great church. And you guys, uh, man, I just can't believe that we get to do this and be able to enjoy each other the way that we do and it's uh, and just enjoy the Lord and celebrate on Sunday mornings who we've discovered God to be. Uh, and during the week, you know, hang out with people that are all on the same page. And, you know, even as we're singing this morning, just understanding grace and understanding to the degree that we do as a church and realizing that that is the overwhelming characteristic of God that has just changed all of us. You know, we're, we're walking in grace and that it's not, it's no longer for most of you it's no longer motivating you to, to go and ex- enjoy your freedom in, in the way of doing things you never did, but it, it's resulted in a, an appreciation for God that makes you just want to love him and serve him, and, uh, and that's, that motivation is, what, is what, what we long for. It's what we want. It's, it's hard. We are talking this morning about some situations and people that we're praying for in our prayer time just about how we handle those people and how significant it is that we help people to find God, to discover God's grace and discover how good he is. And uh, this past week I had a friend who, who told me that uh, he's taking uh, someone through Grace Walk, understanding grace for the first time, and, and uh, how this person had been in the church all of her life and that got to one of the chapters on, on grace and really just describes the righteousness of God that we were just singing about. You know, that the righteousness of God that's been given to us through Christ is not something we earn or it's not something we can ever do. It's been given to us. Uh, and she just wept, you know, just in tears. First time of discovering the grace of God and being, having been in the church all of her life. So I want to make sure before we get into uh, talking about characteristics uh, of a person or elder uh, who is pursuing God, who is... Uh, authentically from their heart, stretching out with all their passion and all their effort to to go after God and to, to please God and to know God, that as we start talking about these characteristics and defining what they are, that you don't get all bound up. So today is not about you saying, oh, man, I'm not that way. Shame, guilt, depression, anxiety, and and. Building, let, don't let any of that get in today. Just be inspired, okay? Be inspired. Don't let uh, Satan turn this message around because we are talking about what does it look like when a person is passionately, 
authentically from their heart, passionately pursuing God, stretching towards God with all their effort, uh, because they love God and they desperately want to please God, what does that look like? One thing we said it doesn't look like is it doesn't look like perfection. Okay, nobody is ever going to get that. And, And one of the things I appreciate also about our church is that I get to be a failure in front of you and you still let me be your pastor. That's, that's a cool thing. But it's also cool for you because you don't have to look at me and say, oh, he's got it all together and I, I can get it all together. None of us ever get it all together. Everybody understand that? Say, oh, yeah. We never get it all together. So get that out of your head. You're never going to be that. It's frustrating. And it's more frustrating the more that you love God and the more that you really from your heart want to serve God and, and be perfect. But we recognize it's our bodies waging war against our spirits and our minds, our eternal part. And so we're not going to ever get out of that till we get out of these bodies. And that's going to be a while for most of us. So uh, we're going to talk some more about that today. What does it look like to be a person who's authentically, consistently uh, emulating or becoming a, 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 a picture of Christ in the world? What does that look like? What does it look like when we're pursuing him? And we're doing it for two reasons. Number one is because every one of us, uh, in our hearts, if you are a believer, you already have that desire in your heart. Okay, it's already there. If you're a believer, the one thing we can know is that God has put in your heart, the Holy Spirit is there motivating you towards living a life of righteousness. So all these characteristics that I talk about, for a believer, you're going to want these to be true in your life. Okay, you're going to want them. So we're just going to describe them and doing a Bible study. This is going to be some of the most boring preaching that you ever get during this series. But we need to understand what does it look like. And, and Paul wants Timothy to understand that. But we're also doing it for a second reason. And that is we're going to believe that God's calling us at this point in the stage of our church to organize our leadership in a way that we will have elders and deacons uh, that will come out of this study. And so we want you to, to ask yourself, do I, am I one of those men or women who are, who's pursuing God in such a way that I believe I should be an elder? I aspire to that. Uh, men, women and men, that I aspire to be a deacon uh, in, the, in the body. And so I'll also be asking that. And then if not you, who? Who is it in the body that you feel like really is passionately pursuing these things, stretching towards them with all their might? as we begin to think about who will be the next elders in our body. So we'll pick up again uh, where we left off. Uh, Thank you, Will, by the way, for last week. And uh, I haven't heard the message yet, but I have heard about it, and so I appreciate you. I've heard about it. I had my spies. Uh, No, I didn't really. Uh, But, but man, I appreciate you covering last week, and I know God had a word for the body through Will, and so I hope you've applied it this week and will continue to. Actually, I know you did last Sunday night. Heard about that too. So thank you for uh, for speaking God's word to us, preparing us for last Sunday night, and thank all of you for taking care of, uh, of the people in the neighborhood and our friends and people that have came uh, last Sunday. All right, so First Timothy three two. If you're here today, and a number of you are here for the first time, you're visiting with us. Uh, do not exemplify, do not uh, exempt yourself from this from this message. This is for every believer, okay, but also. Uh, ask yourself, is this the kind of uh, church that you'd want to be a part of as we talk about these things? Uh, because we definitely are looking for those people who God would bring into the body. We're going to talk about that in just a minute when, it talks about, when we talk about hospitality. 
and what our role is in that. Okay, so let's check ourselves today. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says this. Uh, you can follow along in your Bible or your app. 1 Timothy 3, 2 is where we'll spend most of our time. We are going to move a little bit. He says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. All right, we've talked about those two. We won't go back on those. And then it says, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. We'll stop there. We won't cover all that today, but we'll cover some of it. All right, so first of all, he says an elder must be uh, sober-minded. Some of your versions may say vigilant. Sober-minded would be just basically always on watch, ever on watch, uh, vigilant. A person who is sober-minded is someone who never allows themselves to be caught off guard. Uh, we need to be on guard all the time in regard to our, to our walk with God. We need to be constantly watching because we have an enemy who is trying to defeat us. He's always looking to destroy us. The Bible describes him as a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we need to be ever on watch as only sober men can be, okay? So if you want to think about sober in the way that we understand it, uh, a person who allows himself to be drunk would be the opposite of that. Uh, you know, we, we recognize that in regard to alcohol use. Uh, being, being drunk would be that I'm not on watch anymore, right? Uh, when we talk about someone who, you know, a lot of the stories that some of you tell about your past, uh, some of you more recent than others, but to tell about your past are things that happened when you were drunk, uh, when you drank too much alcohol and you ended up being in a state that you don't know what you did and the next morning people are telling you what happened in your life, right? Uh, and, and sometimes uh, the scars are there, uh, but you find out through other, other people what happened when you were drunk, okay? The opposite of that is ever being on watch, okay? The opposite of that is being of sound mind and body, right? The opposite of that is always being... Uh, aware of what you're doing and, and, and how things are affecting you and how you're affecting others. Okay, so that's basically what he's saying here. We need to be sober-minded. All of us do. In First Peter, uh, Peter talks about this in chapter 5. First Peter 5, 8 to 10, if you want to uh, pop that in your phone real quick. First Peter 5, 8 to 10. This is what it says. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. An elder needs to be one who is super sensitive to the schemes of the devil. Look, all of us know, and you, you have used these terms yourself, I'm sure, as I have, is that, man, Satan caught me off guard. You know, he snuck that one in on me. You know, I, I wasn't watching. I wasn't paying attention. Then here he came. Satan does that. The Bible describes him that way. Peter says that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's always, he is always on watch. Always. So much so that after we become believers and our hearts are changed and our desire to sin doesn't come from within us anymore, Satan watches us. And looks for opportunities to offer some sins to our flesh, to our old flesh patterns. Like if you used to have a problem of dealing with, uh, of dealing with, um, with problems in your life, with anxiety and worry and fear and complaining. If that's the way that you 
always handled yourself prior to coming to know Christ. Okay, now you know in your heart that no matter what happens in life, we sang about it this morning, you have no reason to be anxious anymore. And worry can add nothing to that. The word says that. You, you are aware of that. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. All right, we know that in our hearts. Our, the Holy Spirit is constantly saying that to us. But how many times, as soon as a problem comes up in your life, your flesh responds the way it used to? That's not you. Everybody say, it's not me. Okay, it's not you anymore. The Bible says your old you has passed away. All things have become new. So, so the new you, the in- eternal part of you, doesn't, doesn't respond that way. You're, the internal part of you, the spiritual part of you says, God's got this. But our flesh, as soon as Satan sees that little sign, there's some kind of a anxious, whatever it is, a tick or whatever you got. I've got a tick. I've learned, I've, notified, I've noticed it myself. When, at night when I go to bed, if I'm worried about something, I do my foot like this. Of course, Maddie says I do that anyway. She calls it cricketing. I cricket at night before I go to sleep. But when I'm worried, I start doing my foot, and I have certain physical signs that show me I'm worried. I don't feel it necessarily always, but I have those signs. Look, Satan is, has watched you, and he continues to watch you. He's very real. He's present right now watching you today. He's watching you and, and, trying to, and he will try to distract you to stop you from hearing the message that God has for you today. He'll do something. He, he watches you. He knows how to distract you. He knows your old flesh patterns. And he uses those things against you. So we need to be vigilant. Every believer needs to be vigilant. We need to be watchful, not drunk, not going through life, uh, drunk on life and drunk on, on uh, people and drunk on positions and drunk, drunk on our jobs and not paying careful attention to what the enemy is doing to distract us, to take us away from what God would have us to, to do in order to know him more, to, in order to, to accomplish the goal that we have, to, to be closer to him. Everybody get that? Say, oh, yeah. All right? So we need to be vigilant. But an elder doesn't only need to be responsible for watching himself. As we start thinking about elders in the church, we need to find, we need to be looking at who are the men in this body who really are vigilant. They're careful. They watch. They, they notice things that other people don't notice about the schemes of the enemy. They might notice it, uh, you know, they, they share those things about how the enemy distracts them and how they overcome him. But also, an elder needs to be responsible for the body. Look at Acts chapter 20. Uh, flip over to that. Acts chapter 20. And Luke talks about this situation uh, when, when he's, uh, about what happens whenever we, are, um, whenever we are faced with temptation as elders or leaders in the body. Okay, here's what he says. He says, he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, Paul knew that he could count on Timothy uh, in this passage that, uh, in First Timothy. He knew he could count on Timothy to be that person who would not only stand firmly on what he believed and watch out and had an awareness of how the enemy attacked him, but also that he would watch out for the church. And so what is Paul 
telling Timothy. Y'all remember why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy? What was, what was Timothy facing in Ephesus? What was the big thing that was going on? Say it out loud. Nobody knows. Come on. False teaching. All right. You knew that. See? Everybody go, oh. So that I'll feel better. Go, oh. Okay, yeah. False teaching. We remember that. He's, a, he's refuting false teachers who are, who, are, who are trying to add to the gospel. And so Paul knows that Timothy's not only going to watch out for himself, but he gives him an assignment. Look, as an elder, this is what I need you to do. I need you to watch out. I need you to protect what's going on with, for the believers. I need you to tell them not to believe that stuff, and I need you to, tell, to, to refute the teachings of those who are, who are teaching wrong things. I need you to go to them, and I need you to tell them, don't do this. Get in their face. Tell them, quit. Paul knew that he could count on Timothy to do that. And that's what we need here. We need to, first of all, all be watchful in regard to our faith and our beliefs. And then we also need uh, people who are going to, going to stand for us and be examples for us in this body who will help us to see when Satan's attacking us, help us to see the way he attacks, help us to recognize things that we don't notice maybe on our own. So a sober-minded person is one that keeps his mind focused on the tasks that, that have been assigned to him, this task of living for God and knowing God and helping others to do the same. Elders need to be particularly astute at this, and so watch for that, but, but practice it in your own life. How do, you get, how do you get good at this, and how do you get good at helping others to do it? You know, traditional discipleship for us is one person, is skin on skin. It's one person telling another person, how they've encountered God, how they've experienced God, how they've fought the enemy. And so that's what an elder needs to be. And that's what all of us need to be in this community. We all need to be vigilant. Okay? All right, so he also says, an overseer must be self-controlled. Basically, self-controlled is just that. It's that I I have myself under control. I'm behaving in a sensible manner, manner. Uh, I'm, I'm moderate in my behavior. I'm not allowing circumstances to control the things, the way that I behave in life. Uh, another uh, definition that was given in one of the commentaries is to have right thoughts about what one should do and also to let one's mind guide one's body. So to be self-controlled is to, first of all, have right thoughts about how I should live my life and the second thing is that once it gets in my mind, it makes its way into my body. That I'm not just thinking about the way I should act, but I'm also able to accomplish that. Now, you think about this. Most of you, most of us, know enough about Scripture and have a close enough relationship with God that God has given us some things we know we should be doing, right? If you agree, do this. Yeah, we should be doing these things. So it's in our minds. Now, what all of us need to be better at is being self-controlled. That is, not allowing our bodies to do things that our minds have already, already know are not for God, are not in God's will. So it's making that transition. Being self-controlled is saying, okay, I'm going to. I am going to. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the power that God's given me by the Holy Spirit, I am going to live a life according to God's will. So self-controlled, he's not out of control. And most of us know what it looks like to be out of control. I don't have to define that one because most of us see it and have operated in it. 
So having our mind, first of all, guiding our body. Paul talks about this in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. This is what Paul says. First of all, in chapter 7, you know this. We've talked about it regularly. But this describes perfectly what we're talking about. Paul says in chapter 7 of Romans, he says that, that the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Okay, does that sound like a mind and a body being separated? <laughs> Paul says the things I want to do, the things, and when he talks about his mind, he's talking about, in this case, he's talking about the, the spiritual side of him. Everything in my spirit wants to do what's right. He said, but I can't do it because my body keeps waging war against my mind. So there's a struggle between my mind and my spirit. Uh, my mind and my body. And so here's what Paul says about what we need to do. First of all, look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop. Look this way. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? No guilt. No shame. No, oh man, I failed again. None of that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right? What Paul's describing here, he said there's two laws at work. There's the law of God. It's in my mind. And there's the law of the flesh. It's in my body. And those two, when those two fight against each other, there's no winning. The law of my flesh always wins. But good news, no condemnation for you. God doesn't look at you and say, man, what's the matter with you? God doesn't look at you and say, you're a failure. I'm fixing to mess your life up. God doesn't look at you and say, wow, you did it again. I knew you were going to do it again, you pitiful, sorry Christian, maybe Christian. You know, God doesn't look at us like that. He looks at us and says, no condemnation. Christ, I'm looking at Christ's righteousness, not at yours. It's a gift given to you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death, okay? The law that was fighting against you, that law that tells you you have to act right, and then this law that's at work in your members of your body, causing you to be unsuccessful, he says, that that law of sin and death has been put to death in Christ Jesus. He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What did he do? He said, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh... And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met or fulfilled in us. All right, that's the beautiful picture. This is what Christ already did. So no guilt, only inspiration. All right, God already did for you what you need to do. He's already made you perfect. But it's still got this problem between my mind and my flesh. How do I handle that now that I know I'm already taken care of before God? He goes on to say this. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on spirit is life and peace. So he says, this is what we do. You need to set your mind. This is something you do, okay? Been wanting to do something? Man, I'm a failure. I'm going to make myself better? No, that's not it. Man, I, I just keep on uh, losing control. I don't have control. My mind, the things that, are, that God wants me to be, I'm not being successful at. So did Paul. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to rededicate my life. 
I'm going to pray a lot of prayers. I'm going to do something. And I'm going to get some accountability. No. Not that all that's bad. But that's not what he's saying here. He says, set your mind. Take the time to get alone with God. Get quiet and set your mind on what you desire. Set your mind on the things that are inside your heart to do. So if you want to be, if you're you're not exhibiting self-control in some area of your life, then go to that area. Talk to God about it. Set your mind on what you really want to be. Take the time. It takes time to set your mind. Sit, think, pray, read scripture that deals with that particular aspect of, of, of sin in your life. Read the scripture. Read the promises of God. Remind yourself of the grace of God. Let be motivated to love God in this way through obedience. And set your mind. And do it every day. This is what the psalmist says. He says, I set the Lord before me. And because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David understood that. He was a man after God's heart. And what did he do? He set the Lord before him every day. And, and recognized, God is with me. I will not be defeated in this area of my life. Take the time to do that. Set your mind on it. Go after it. Here's the good thing about Satan. There's only one, really. There's only one good thing, but I'm going to tell you what it is. He will help you to know where your weakness is so you can set your mind on it, right? So you can set your mind on the things of the, of the Spirit in regard to that thing. If you've got a problem with anger, you know it because Satan keeps tempting you in the area of anger. If you've got a problem with pornography, you know it because that's where Satan's constantly tempting you is in that area of pornography. Uh, if you've got a problem with uh, love, loving your wife or your, or your husband, or if you've got a problem with uh, jealousy, name it. Whatever your problem is, it keeps coming up. Why? Uh, because God is using Satan to help you to know how to set your mind. So an elder needs to be one that's self-controlled. An elder needs to be one that doesn't have a whole lot of places in his life where, that are visible. They're, we're all going to have them, but he doesn't have this overwhelming amount of, uh, of sins in his life that he's practicing and just can't seem to get control of. All of us have that. Even Paul, the, the greatest missionary that ever lived, had that. But an elder is one that seems to be having more success at setting his mind on the things of the Spirit, and it's evident because he does the things the Spirit desires. Everybody get that? Say, oh, yeah. All right. Y'all still with me? Can we do another one? All right. I'm going to shut it down after this one. All right. Elders need to be respectable. The easiest definition of that is just a person who deserves respect. Respectable. The definition of the, of the Greek word is well-ordered and deserving of respect. He needs to be modest in temperament and activity and organized in his life and activity. It, it, this, this definition or the, the term respectable in the original text, in the original language, suggests a well-ordered life and testimony. A person, a man is, who's a gentleman, who seems to have everything together, uh, you know, he's the kind of person that you want to have around. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, uh, it talks about women being modest. That same term is the term that's used here, uh, about being modest in, the, in their appearance. It's the way that that person appears. There's a, there's a, a, a character that, uh, that is solid and secure and, and gives peace to people and comfort to people when, you, when you're in his presence. That's respectable. Someone that you're glad when they're there. 
there's certain men that when they're present, everybody feels uh, more secure. Uh, I don't know if you've had some men like that in your life, but, but when, they're, when they're around, everybody feels more secure. Um, you, you can watch a, a family who, where the father is that person, and, and when the father goes out of town, the family seems to fall apart. Uh, you, you, can, you can see that, that when that father comes back into the room, the presence of the father being there causes everybody to be more at peace and at ease because if anything goes wrong, dad knows how to fix it, right? This is dad's job. Now, everybody doesn't have a dad like that. It might not be the best example. Throw somebody else in there. It's just an illustration. But this idea, Paul was that person. How many times does Paul say, he said it in this case. He says, I want to come to you. Why did he say that? I promise you it's because that whole church at Ephesus was saying, Paul, come on, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? You know why? Because when Paul walked into the room, it didn't matter what he said. He had this respectability, this character that just when he walks in, everybody feels like everything's going to be all right. Paul was that man. He was a man so filled with the Spirit of God that one of the things that he exemplified was that that presence that that when it walks into a room it brings peace it brings comfort it brings security okay that's what we need that's what you need to be you need to be that person when you walk into your workplace that everybody says man i'm so glad you're here and i don't even tell you why but man peace is here when you're here is that what you bring to the workplace or do you bring a lot of whining and complaining and anxiety and worry when you're there do people worry more or do they, do they feel more at peace and at ease? It's okay. Don't feel guilty. Be inspired. All right? Let God fill you in this way. Let, aspire to this. Reach with it with all that you have. If this is an issue in your life, be that person who is respectable. Who, Whenever you show up, man, everything seems more ordered. Uh, everything seems to be, be, I feel better when you're present, when you're around. And if we'll be more filled with the Spirit of God, that's the way we'll be. And Paul was that. We see examples of it everywhere that he goes. He, he apologizes numerous times for the, the fact that the Spirit is leading him to go somewhere else when he intends to go and be with a, a church where he had been before to bring some peace to them. So we need some men in our church that, that you can rest with. I, I, I really feel this. and I, If I'm wrong, don't tell me. But you have definitely, as a church, you have expressed through your, uh, through your votes when we vote that you feel very comfortable and secure with the leadership that we have in the church. I've never felt like, oh, man, I hope they go for it this time. We've never had one vote in our body that was less than 100%. We've always voted together. And I believe it's two things. Number one, it's you're pursuing God as well as the elders. But number two is because you, you believe that the elders are to be respected, uh, that they're respectable men. Now, I know we all fall, and there's times when you probably wonder. But again, you're, the way that you guys have, have expressed yourselves in the times that we've made major decisions, things like buying buildings and relocating church and moving and going, starting another church, big decisions that you have trusted and uh, the elders of the church and affirmed us in the decisions that we've made. And so we need more guys like that. We need more men who are respectable. And if you aspire to be that person, then 
then man, pursue that. Ask God about it. Uh, let us know that, you, that you're pursuing that. By the way, we haven't really said this, but as these things begin to, to as we go through this series, if you, I hope you're asking, some of you men are asking yourself, am I one of those men? Is my heart, uh, is my heart beginning to beat like it did when I received Christ? You know, it's beating with, with a, an excitement about being, having that task, you know, that noble task, being a part of that, uh, letting that be a part of my life. If you feel that, man, let me know about that. The elders definitely need to know that. Uh, but, but each one of these, guys, I hope that all of us are feeling a need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring these into our lives. So as we consider these this morning, let's bow and pray, and we'll worship in, in closing here in just a minute. But as we consider these this morning, let me just bring them back up, and you talk to the Lord about these. first of all we talked about being vigilant have you been watchful have you been setting your mind on the things of the spirit And, and and as a result doing the things the spirit desires Man, the first thing that some of us might need to commit to today is just spending more time with God and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. Father, I want to ask you on behalf of our people today that you would empower each one to pursue you more, to spend more time alone with you, to read your word. And God, I pray that whatever time is allotted, that you would make it useful, that you would speak to hearts and motivate us God, that particularly in the areas of sin in our life, that we would recognize Satan's work, that he is our adversary, that he is working against us. He is um, pursuing uh, pursuing us and wanting to defeat us. Father, you would show us what he's doing. Help us to realize it. I pray you'll call out men from this body who will help the body to, to also be watchful and vigilant. Father, some of us have had it in our minds to be self-controlled, Lord, to live according to your will, and we've constantly been defeated, and we, we are uh, in the company of the greatest missionary that ever lived in that problem. But, Father, help us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, to, to rest in the fact that we are set free, that we have no condemnation from you, that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save us. And Father, that we would rejoice in that, that we would enjoy that, that we would allow that to inspire us, God, to be more self-controlled. And we pray that your spirit would empower us in the specific areas that each person here uh, surely has had come to mind. Help us, God. And then, Father, in the area of being respectable, God, we know this community needs needs men and women of God who will not condemn, who will not um, be uh, just people who are constantly picketing and against things. But, Father, this town needs, this city needs men and women of God who are respectable whose lives are well-ordered and deserving of respect. When they walk into a room... They bring security with them and peace, and people trust them. Lord, help us to be that.
do this work in us and continue to help us as we go through this study, God, to, to be men and women who exemplify Christ and to pursue that with all that we have. 